The rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon, and her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know the man just up my rent last night? Because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, and no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me. Because Whitey's on the moon. I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know I just about had my fill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. Whitey on the moon. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. That was Mr. Gil Scott Heron, the late, the great uh, poet, uh, activist, and wow, Whitey, Whitey's on the moon. Uh, too bad that's not relevant at all for this week that we're having. Um, It's so sad to know that that poem was written like 50 years ago. Anyway, we have such a good show for you tonight. Uh, Maurice Mitchell is here of Working Families Party. We are going to dig into this week and everything that has been happening. Um, The protests that are ongoing after the police murder of George Floyd, of course. Uh, We're going to be talking about, you know, uh, what the hell we do? What's going to happen? Where do we go from here? Let's make sense of this. Also, we're donating tonight's tips to an organization that works in Minneapolis called Reclaim the Block. So just thank you for the tips that you've already given um, for uh, the Navajo Nation and their battle with COVID. Uh, that was last week and before raising money for undocumented immigrants uh, in this time. Because again, stimulus checks do not go to people who don't have uh, papers for some dumb, dumb, dumb reason. Um, so thank you. Again, you can tip us at Venmo TBR-Live. Let's get into it. Once again, of course, I am joined by my co-host, uh, good friend, uh, and yes, a uh, guy who I think has been been doing a lot of crying as I have been doing. Uh, he's been talking about his crying. Let's let's check in with his man tears. Uh, please welcome Mr. Nato Green. Eh, bueno, como estamos? <laughs> Vamos a hablar en español ahora? Sí, un poco. Estoy tomando el ron, mi, uh, mi compañero de vida, el ron Santiago de 11 años. Uh, 11 años. Sí. Bueno, qué bien, qué bien. And uh, what about what about your cigar? Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm Jewish, so I'm a little bit asthmatic. Um, so <laughs> I didn't realize I, that was a trait of Jews. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, Wouldn't the white nationalists like to know? So I, so today uh, we I, I, we had to get out of the house a bit uh, with the family and and go for go for a walk. Uh, so I don't know what that is. We went for a walk in a nice public Where? park. Uh, what is that? Yeah, right. Outside? So so it was What's outside. That? It was in it was in places. Are you have you heard mm. of places? 
I've um, heard of them, but only in like, you know, like fictional yeah, um, books so, with like dragons. So uh, I, so we're walking in, out in this park and out, we see three men in suits, the two, two men wearing giant red sashes. And then one of them is holding like a flag with a golden lion. And I was like, oh snap, it's the Lannisters. Uh, <laughs> but they've let themselves go. The Lannisters have gotten fat and dumpy. Uh, they're just and, they're shrine. Those are like legit shriners, right? Or like so, um, Masons, so, Freemasons. So I walked up to them, and of course, being me, I was like, "Yo, what's with the flag?" <laughs> um, and and they were they were like, "We're a a civic society uh, oh, called Tradition, Family, and Property." Uh, Oh, so you're Nazis. Yeah. And so at that point, my wife and children fucking broke out because <laughs> they know me and they're like, dad's about to start some shit and start arguing with these people. And we don't want, we don't want to be anywhere near when that goes down. Uh, and so, uh, but, and so because they were like my, I was making my family anxious. I was like, traditional family and property. Uh, what, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you know, defending traditional values, the traditional American notion of family and the idea that your property should be ours. And and so I, then I like had the moment of like, do do I want to argue with these people uh, and get a good story out of it? Or do I want to not Im- just like let my family do what they want, which is to leave? And uh, and this time I chose my you are a white man. Yeah, right. I figure like as a white man, this is uh, this is one of the ways that I can use my white maleness uh, for good is yeah. to is to walk up to other white guys out acting the fool and be like, "Come on, what the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> really? <laughs> Excuse me, one question. Really? Um, yeah. But so you engaged or you didn't? I didn't engage. I I bailed out. That's good. You know, the world yeah. needs you in other places, NATO. I'm not going to um, run out of white guys acting the fool that need a stern talking to <laughs> no no they'll still be there uh yeah. i'm i'm in la and we are under curfew which i don't really know how that works amidst the sheltering in place like is this like a i feel like it's a little bit like um like using a condom and a dental dam i know you don't really but you know what i'm saying it's like birth control and a condom like we're all home yeah it's all right? it's 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 uh it what you're it sounds like you using a condom if you're a virgin and just like putting a condom on to walk around the house <laughs> exactly exactly no just, obviously there are protests here in la and uh you know we'll get into this but i you know gotta say been wondering where the federal government and just the government in general has been for mm, i don't know three or four months now with you know a pandemic that has killed a hundred thousand people here they are here now they're here Hey, you just got to, you know, break into a Adidas and who knew? Just got to talk uh, about Black Lives Mattering and who knew? They're there. Yeah, well, you know, the government couldn't uh, couldn't focus their attention on a competent response to the biggest global pandemic and economic catastrophe in 100 years because they were busy polishing their rifles. Precisely. Yeah. Um, figuring out how to make sure that the rubber bullets hit people right in the head. Um, God, what a heavy week. But um, hey, let's let's jump into this. Uh, NATO and I have a new segment on the Bituation Room here um, because we are sheltering in place. We're all most of us are staying home uh, and we forget what day uh, of the week it is, what where we are, how the earth rotates 
and whether we do rotate around the sun or the sun rotates around us. I can't tell you how, like, like it just happens in casual conversation all the time now where, where you'll be in a conversation with someone on Zoom or on the phone, or, of course, and they're like, what is time anyway? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> it's a very valid question in this moment. Here, here's what I'm realizing is that it, given the permission to go outside, I choose not to. And that is very revealing about myself and just me. I was like, no, no, no. I, uh, you know, I went to the patio. Eh? Hey, I watered things. Um, all right. Well, we, we have a segment called the week where let's bring us up to speed. It is Sunday, May 31st. And this is the week where music to come, music to come, stand by, add drop, it in post. Drop it in post. <laughs> Drop it in post. It's not gonna be dropped in post. All right. <laughs> NATO insists on making this some kind of EDM beat. It's not gonna work. All right. This was the week where, at the same time that the U.S. reached 100,000 dead from COVID-19, in part thanks to his inaction, President Trump went golfing. Um, this was uh, Trump's 250th golf outing, and he claims that the golfing was for exercise. I have never seen someone exercise that much and still gain weight i feel like he's just trying to bulk up is that the strategy at this point just just for, for when it comes to fisticuffs <laughs> uh you know I, I mean look a lot of people made a big deal about cross the like crossing the hundred thousand dead milestone is an important milestone but i actually like i you know i think they were getting distracted from the big story this week that we should have been focusing on which is that in the last week an alligator that people believed was the pet of Adolf Hitler died in a zoo in Moscow. Uh, there's a there was an alligator From COVID? named No, it was just no, the alligator it was named Saturn, died last weekend uh at a, the age of 84. Was he an albino uh, alligator? Because that would make sense. Uh it was it was the 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 master race of alligators. <laughs> and um <laughs> Uh, so in, in reading about the, uh, the, uh, the alligator that was believed to be part of Hitler's collection, I learned that, uh, that the alligator was just at, at large in, in war torn Berlin for three years during world war two. Uh, what? and, but like the alligator was like in a zoo and then the zoo was bombed and then the alligator got out and was just like hanging out in Berlin for a few years before the British, British soldiers found him and then gave him to the Soviet Union, uh, where he lived out the rest of his days in a zoo in Moscow until he died this past weekend. And I don't know, like, you know, you can have, you're a hundred thousand dead Americans, but Hitler's alligators, come on now. <laughs> so what you're saying is. One more Nazi avoided prosecution and died peacefully at the ripe old age of 82. Yeah, I mean, like most of them went to Uruguay or whatever, but this one went to Moscow. Sure. They went to <laughs> Uruguay or, as you know, into the U.S. federal government. <laughs> um, thank you, NATO. I don't now I really don't know what day it is, um, <laughs> but moving on. This was the week where the first private space launch took off on Saturday, and it was a NASA-certified mission by Elon Musk's to $20 billion company, SpaceX, to find the clitoris. Astronauts will be orbiting at zero G's spots. Um, the, the ship had, had, the crew was called the Dragon Crew, and it, and, and it had Draco thrusters. So... <laughs> 
Elon Musk isn't making a space program. He's doing Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> uh, but I love it because it's these kind of ambitious national projects that make America great again. Like, the, you know, unifying around a space program is uh, they bring out the best in us as a people and leave a lasting legacy. For example, you know, Neil Armstrong famously said, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. And Elon Musk said, at least when there's an evil dictator, that human is going to die. But for an AI, there will be no death. It would live forever. And then you would have an immortal dictator for which there would be, we would never escape. And, you know, when you think about it, bruh, he's right. Like, yeah. I definitely need a little bit more sativa to be there, but not wrong. <laughs> um, speaking of AI, uh, this was the week where the musician Grimes announced she is auctioning off her soul as a part of an in art installation called Selling Out. Elon Musk calls it their wedding anniversary. Uh, my fa my favorite thing about this is that in the story Grimes said uh, that she said uh, in in the, in the in describing the art project, she said also I really wanted to collaborate with my lawyer on art, and who among us hasn't felt that way before? Uh, that's why I involved my lawyer in my next joke. Uh, pursuant to Article Three, Section F, hereunto referred to as the parties will endeavor to make a good faith effort unless impracticable to you see where it's going. Yeah. 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 There's something about mm -hmm, the yeah. claw, laughter clause in there. The laughter clause. Um, <laughs> I just want to know, you know, she didn't sell, she's not selling her whole soul. She's selling part of the soul. And I just mm -hmm. want to know, obviously if Elon owns most of it, like who's buying the other piece? Like it's, is it going to be Jeff Bezos? They're just going to have like co-ownership of Grimes's soul. Have you, what is her music? Um, it is like auto-tuning a uh, garbage disposal, I think. Okay. I don't know. Well, I'm sure there's some breathiness in there. Whatever. Right. It, it, whatever it is, the Spotify algorithm doesn't think I would be interested in it. So I never know. I don't, that's, that's the only way I find out about anything. Uh, guys, if you know what Grimes' music sounds like, could you just comment right now? Um, but make it sort of, make it fancy, make it, make it you know, uh, make it grimesy. Um, all right. This was the week where Trump got so mad at Twitter for adding a fact check to his tweets that he signed an executive order that would strip liability protection for internet platforms like Twitter, a move that would mean that they would probably have to only further censor his tweets. I can only imagine that next he's going to paint a tunnel on Twitter HQ and then run right into it. Uh, <laughs> dude, these jokes, these jokes kill me. didn't take most of my weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Oh, you got nothing. Oh, you got nothing for this fool. I, I, I don't, I know. I had the same joke. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, All right. Well, no, we found I mean, more who gets credit. Uh, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to see Jack Dorsey f after letting Nazis run amok on Twitter and rapists for so many years, finally put his foot down with a disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> we all know that nothing stops rising fascism like a disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same when you're like, yes, I am 21 to get into any porn site. Right. <laughs> I would rather they put like a, like a Pornhub disclaimer above Trump's tweets. Just like, are you 21 to see this? 
Yes. Um, wouldn't be as dope behind that, you know, little wall. Um, I, I'm not familiar. What is Pornhub? Oh, it's just like really avant-garde. And um, it's like, it's actually kind of like open source uh, mm. porn sharing. Um, so it's just like really cutting edge. Oh, that sounds cool. Y'all should pay for porn BT dubs. That's a different discussion. All right. Moving on to the discussion that uh, we're mostly going to focus on today and tonight. Uh, this was a week where protests have broken out all across the country to demand justice for George Floyd, who was murdered by the Minneapolis police. Departments around the country have responded to demands for an end to police brutality with police brutality. Uh, they were just making sure like that that's what you wanted them to stop. Like, was it is this is this what you didn't like? Um, and I feel like Are at this point, sure? <laughs> yeah, right here. At this point, like arming police with weapons is like arming firefighters with flamethrowers. Uh, I, I, so a, a French friend brought this to my attention that uh, George Floyd was killed by Officer Chauvin, and and do you know that though? I so he explained to me that the word chauvinism co comes from a French soldier named Chauvin. So the idea that the killer cop is named, his name is the name. The Latin root of, of the of origin shit. of the idea of chauvinist pig. That it's a cop, like a horrible cop. Chauvinist pig is the origin. And it's it's some French soldier named, uh, named Chauvin who was uh, very enthusiastic about Napoleon. Of course. That's the origin. Yeah. Um. Yes, and his wife divorced Officer Chauvin's wife divorced him the day that she saw this video, um, which is perfect. I mean, I guess anyway. I guess he had never brought his work home with him before. No, she was like, oh, that's what you happened. do. I thought you were uh, something else. It's interesting though, because Trump has called the protesters thugs and has called for looters to be shot. Uh, turns out Trump doesn't mind kneeling so long as it's not done by a black man, but on top of one. The it you know, uh, it took uh, the Chauvin was was arrested after three days of protest in Minneapolis, and and now the you know that that's pretty good actually that's pretty fast three days of, of insurrection in one city to get a killer cop arrested I just I feel like you know now let's do Trump like what is it what is it going to take now we know it just takes some number of days of insurrection we don't know how many but we'll get there agreed my friend and finally. This was the week where, this is real, monkeys broke into a COVID testing laboratory in Delhi, India after, and after attacking a lab assistant made off with a batch of blood samples. According to the Times of India, quote, one of the monkeys was later spotted in a tree chewing one of the sample collection kits. <laughs> it's, it's a sign of the failure of the entire global public health system that monkeys are like, fuck it, let's make our own vaccine. <laughs> we're we gonna have this. to take matters into our own hands. Uh, uh, motherfucker we got yeah. <laughs> he's gotta chew one end i mean to me it all just feels like one giant like mother nature action sequel you know like she's back and she knows where you live because oh yeah she knows your home pachamama payback coming soon to quibi <laughs> it's on quibi of course uh <laughs> for for both of Quibi's viewers. Dude, it's the fact that everyone's stuck at home. That's why Quibi's had a hard launch, okay? Um, 
as if the yeah. audience weren't for anyone else who like who for people who were like upright like quibi is just for reclining and watching shit on your phone oh god and that was the week where y'all thank you once again for being here thank you to uh mark zuckerberg man you really made this possible you know you stole all our data but now we're live and we are using this platform to raise money to help this show, but also to help reclaim the block, a Minneapolis organization that specifically is working to redirect funds um, from the from municipal police to other uh, areas like education, healthcare. Um, so yes, please donate at Venmo uh, or not at Venmo. Don't give them money at on Venmo <laughs> at TBR Live TBR Live on Venmo. Thank you so much. Um, let's get into this main topic, the sitch, as we say here on the Bituation Room, um, which is uh, George Floyd's murder and uh, the ensuing protests that have come off of it. Um, I'm just going to give a quick little rundown just in case, you know, you've been in a little comey combs or you uh, have been living under a rock or you're just like watching Drag Race and nonstop, which I get, I get. Um on Memorial Day, uh, the same day Trump was golfing, 46-year-old George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Uh, Floyd was arrested for allegedly trying to use a counterfeit $20 bill at a grocery store, because you know how dangerous that can be, and was restrained by Officer Chauvin, who put his knee on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, while bystanders who were filming the incident tried to get him to stop, and he was pleading, saying, please, I can't breathe. Uh, we've heard that before, obviously. Chauvin was finally arrested days after. So so George Floyd was pronounced dead and was killed. Chauvin was finally arrested days after and charged with third degree murder, which is arguably like the sentence or the charge that carries the least amount of time. Um, this comes on top, of course, of, of a recent murder. Wasn't, of, he, wasn't he fired, too? He was fired. Yes, he was fired along with the two other he officers. He was fired and then and then arrested. Right? Yes. Along and with I believe. Yeah, and then got divorced on. You get divorced on is what happens. Um, ooh, you got divorced on. <laughs> um, I wish every divorce court judge said that. But um, there were, I believe there were three other officers involved. They've all lost their jobs, but they have not been arrested and charged, which is what protesters are demanding. Mind you, this is in a context of we've got Ahmed Arbery, who was killed by a, one, by a former cop and his son in Georgia. Um, only a few weeks ago out while he was out jogging and there's just horrendous footage of that. Um, also when an, an EMT worker in Louisville, Kentucky, who was murdered in her own home when cops entered plainclothes cops entered and shot her. She was shot eight times. Um, this has been popping off around the country. And of course, under a pandemic, it's just, you know, it's compounding everything. Um, Hundreds of thousands of people have taken to the streets. Many of you who are watching tonight have taken the streets in protest uh, all across the country. Minneapolis, Denver, Atlanta, New York, Los Angeles, Miami. Um, we all know the protests have largely been peaceful, but there have there has been violence. There has been looting, mostly uh, violence done to like, you know, store windows and things that are not alive. Um, curfews have been issued. Um, and the police, for their part, uh, just this is just me like on social media for the last, I don't know, 48 hours, just like just a collection of some of the things I've seen. 
Um, they have not been the peaceful ones. Uh, rubber bullets deliberately aimed at people's faces. Remember, rubber bullets are supposed to be shot at the ground and then they are supposed to ricochet and sort of hit your ankles. Um, they've been arresting journalists. Uh, tear, they've been tear gassing, corralling protesters to then eventually arrest them en masse. The NYPD, I'm sure. Running their cars into protesters? Have been running their cars into protesters, violently shoving them to the ground. And, oh, uh, one NYPD officer flashed a white power sign. That was a solid, solid video. Um, a police officer in Seattle maced a child, because, you know, when you just feel em emasculated, mace a kid. Um, Curfews have also been enforced violently. There's a video of, of Minneapolis where, um, you know, folks, residents are filming the National Guard coming, you know, patrolling their streets and they're being told to get back inside. They're on their own property. And when they don't, they start firing rubber bullets at them. Um, as you all have heard whispers of, there, uh, there is evidence uh, um, of provocateurs and infiltrators among the protesters. Um who have been inciting some of that violence. We don't know if they are police. We don't know if they are um, white nationalists. We do know that this is like a little bit of a Christmas day for a lot of white supremacists who are hoping that to spark a race war that they called Boogaloo for some reason. And yes, those groups do operate on Facebook. Francesca, they call it Boogaloo because uh, to like there, there was break into electric boogaloo, and so they call it boogaloo because it's civil war to electric boogaloo. So, uh, I'm a little that bit older than you. I don't, I don't know if you grew up watching the break in movie franchise, but break into electric boogaloo is a heartwarming story about a group of break dancers who come together to break dance to save a community center. And so by their the white nationalists are reclaiming Boogaloo from saving a community center to race war. Is this like when white people stole the blues and created rock and roll? No, it's when white people stole the blues and created fucking river dance. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like across the pond white people, though. Yeah. Um, for for those who are trying to keep up to speed on what all the Black Lives Matter organizations um, and the movement for Black Lives are calling for, um, not just that Officer Chauvin, um, who's now been arrested and charged, um, be arrested, but that the other three officers who were standing by doing nothing about the murder that was taking place, uh, that they also be arrested and charged. Um, they have been fired as of now. Uh, who knows? They might get their jobs back. Um, they're also demanding broader things like cutting ties to police, um, defunding police departments and reallocating that money, as we were discussing before, and more com community control in addition to just respecting protesters' rights. Um, and I, I, in order to talk about this, make sense of it, understand it all, I'm so happy to bring in our guest. Um, his name is Maurice Mitchell, and he works with the Working Families Party. I'm just going to go through his bio because it's so good. And and has have we okay? We're gonna we're gonna wait. Okay, we're gonna bring him in after this really awesome bio. Um, so he is a nationally recognized movement strategist, organizer for racial, social, and economic justice. A longtime organizer in New York, uh, Maurice relocated to Ferguson after Mike Brown's murder to support work on the ground there. Uh, he helped found and run Blackbird, an anchor organization for organizers in the movement for Black Lives. 
And he took the helm of Working Families Party as a national director in 2018 and has led the WFP through two successful election seasons that ended Republican control of legislative chambers in New York and Colorado, ousted corporate Democrats from New Mexico to Rhode Island, and elected progressive champions like New York City public advocate Jumani Williams and Philadelphia City Council member Kendra Brooks. Please welcome Maurice Mitchell. Hello. I know that amount of excitement does not match the gravity of the moment that we're all in right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but welcome, you, Maurice. Uh, thank you. And a quick uh, fact check. Uh, black Please. People, black people also invented rock and roll. And, and hardcore punk rock. And jazz. And blues. Next, you're going to tell me that black people invented river dance, too. <laughs> no, no, you guys got river dance. No, no, I'm, I'm we had nothing dance. to do with river dance. Uh, <laughs> we invented accounting. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and we love you for it. Um, oh, thank you. That's thank my tiny welcome. side it's saying. Contribution accounting. Yeah. Very important. <laughs> um, Oh God, Maurice. Um, let's let's dive into this because we've got you know. Let, let's talk about this basically for the rest of the show. Um, you were on the ground in Ferguson uh, after Mike Brown was killed, and that arguably is is a comparable moment to what we're seeing now in terms of sustained nationwide protests. But this this is, seems to be even bigger than that. Um, I just wanted to get your sense of of um, why you think this time is different. And is it different? Sure. Well, I think, number one, um, we have to shout out the courageous young people on the ground in uh, 2014 in Ferguson and in St. Louis that sparked the movement. Mm. Right? And it's hard to talk about this moment without putting it into context, uh, putting into context the movement for Black Lives and how it shifted the conversation around police violence, around anti-Black racism, and, and built consciousness that continues to this day. So we're starting off with the consciousness that has been built through the Movement for Black Lives, the organizing networks, uh, the communities of Black folks all around the country that, um, you know, from Ferguson to Baltimore to North Charleston uh, to Charlotte have faced these uprisings. And so that's number one. Number two, the conditions are worse, both the economic conditions that we're in with more than 40 million people uh, unemployed, right? And um, the the accelerated white nationalism um, as evidenced by Donald Trump and the white Christian identity movement that he wrote into the White House. So it's a perfect storm almost. Um, and we just needed a light to be matched, uh, a, a match to, to be lit under under these conditions. Because, um, you know, and of course, Black folks have been experiencing uh, police violence for years. But I, I said... I've said this, you know, for months that it's not just the four years of Donald Trump. It's not simply the 40 years of the neoliberal era. And it's 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 both of those things. And it's a third thing, the four centuries of slavery and disposition. All three of those things create the conditions for what we're experiencing today. Mm. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Nato. Did you want to say something? Uh, well, so I, uh, I, f I feel like the like in in progressive circles people sort of talk about like you know we'll talk about racism and we'll talk about uh di you know different types of oppressions and sort of and like general uh forms of oppression generally and 
could could you talk some about like why it's important for everybody to have an understanding of anti-blackness specifically uh and and not just sort of like lump it in under the up the big umbrella of of racism sure absolutely so the way i like i like to bring it all the way back right so um what transformed feudal countries into global empires was the transatlantic slave trade right mm -hmm. so black people's bodies are the capital in capitalism right so the the global economic system that we experience today was was literally built on the commodification of black people's bodies treating black people like objects which is white supremacy right and so you can't really talk about capitalism without talking about racial capitalism mm -hmm. right and so racial capitalism is built on anti-blackness so if we want to free everybody in the world if we want to undo all of this oppression we have to have an analysis of anti-blackness and we we have to have a program that challenges anti-blackness and the people that understand this the most are the far right Mm. They speak explicitly about race, and they use race in order to to animate their politics. Mm. Only people that are confused about this and have trouble speaking explicitly about race and having an intersectional analysis often are people on the left. And I think it behooves people on the left to have a sophisticated, nuanced race, class, and gender analysis, and then translate that into action. Yeah. Woo. NATO. Go on. I wanna. I wanna get back to that. Uh, the, um, I mean, so what you're saying is, if you're a real anti-capitalist, you have to be an anti-racist as well. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. There's no separation of the two, right? Yeah. And so, class reductionism, just you know, just only focusing on class, will never have you achieve ending capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Because capitalism was developed through white supremacy, right? So it's one and one the same. And so it's almost like closing one eye and attempting to, to see a full picture. You have to be able to grasp the full complexity of it. Um, of, course, of course, simply reducing things only to race and not having a full race, class, and gender sort of picture limits, limits you. And, you know, for example, people are talking about the fact that uh, we, need, we need a black vice president. Representation matters, absolutely. But there's, you know, some of the people that they're talking about are former police officers and former prosecutors, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we need a, a black progressive vice president, right? It's like representation, absolutely. Identity matters, but your politics matter as well. And so we wanna look at all of those things. Absolutely. Uh, that was a little bit of a Kamala Harris subtweet right there. Um, Maybe. I, I mean, going back, right, I think a lot of folks are talking and thinking about how police, the police in the United States were formed and understanding that they were formed in large parts in the South as uh, runaway slave catching units. And yeah. they've always so in service of capitalism, in service of um, white slave owners, um, plantation owners. And that then, and I'm not, I'm not as familiar about the history of the police, but like, we can't lose that sight of like, that's how they were created. And, and we also see the ways in which private property is being uh, protected by police um, and explicitly black communities are being ha and have been 
um, over police, threatened, thrown against the wall, stop and frisk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you see that now. You see all of the roots of that playing out every single day. I guess my question is about police sure. and white supremacists. And yeah. there is some overlap. There's a Venn diagram of police officers who belong to white supremacists, white nationalist organizations. But like, can we separate them? Can we have a, ever have a police force that sheds that history? So the short answer is no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll explain why. So individual police officers, right, some of them are absolutely like ideological white supremacists. And we know there's all types of data that shows that white supremacists have been uh, basically pipelining their ranks into law enforcement and into the military, right? Some police officers aren't card-carrying white supremacists, but... Wait, there's a card? Sure. <laughs> you saw the flag, NATO. It's the Lannister flag. Yeah. I mean, if I was a white supremacist, I would want at least a card for all of those. Yeah. But all those horrible politics, I would at least have a card to show for it, right? So, um, is it laminated though? I, I imagine, like in my mind's eye, it's laminated. Um, you know, but let's not get into. Let's not go into that rabbit hole, right? So, um, so, but I think the more important thing of, about the police is what you said. So they were formed, right, in order to essentially um, capture enslaved Africans, right, who were considered property, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a, you know, what is the famous police slogan? To serve and protect, right? Have you ever wondered why they didn't complete that sentence? It's just to serve and protect, dot, dot, dot. Whom or what? And they started in order to serve and protect proper property, right? And now we're in this advanced sort of era of neoliberal capitalism, which is it's essentially an era of property supremacy. So when you understand that, it's not surprising that they're so good at defending property and so bad at defending human life, right? So there's actually no way there's you could absolutely reform the police right people ask me could you reform the police you reform any institution and the the minneapolis police department is a perfect example it's probably one of the more progressive police departments and we saw the result right so you know community policing body cameras all of these reforms still land you with an institution that is designed to pr serve and protect property and to disregard disregard black life Mm -hmm. Which is one of the reasons why white people who live in upper middle class neighborhoods don't even interact with the police, right? They don't even interact with the police. They live an experience essentially of, of police abolition. People are calling for the abolition of the police and people think it's a, a far out concept. It's just basically life as a upper middle class white person in the suburbs where police interactions either never happen or they're so infrequent, you hardly ever think about it. And it's probably positive, right? Yeah. And so the police as an institution, all institutions, yes, could be reformed. However, their fundamental purpose in our society is not to serve and protect people or to preserve life. It's to serve and protect property. For sure. Yeah. Can, can I ask, like, how do you, as someone who's been a, a, a organizer, how do you think about that the, what are the implications of that analysis for strategy? Like it's, it just for, you know, it seems like, 
Like when you think about all of the policies and the institutions and the the police system and the DA and the sheriff and the judges and the you know parole officers and the welfare agencies and segregation and redlining and like it just it's you know and and uh, and the prison system it all seem it seems so both uh, like massive and all these like interlocking and uh, layered institutional props that are also de- incredibly decentralized and localized. Like, you know, I was killer. Mike went on the TV, the news in Atlanta and gave this incredibly moving, you know, speech where he's crying and he's talking about upset, how upset he was. And he, he, uh, he talked for eight minutes and he was like, we need to remember to not burn down our own homes. And he said that a bunch of times. And I was like, aha, he's saying go to the suburbs and burn down their homes. Um, but he can't say that on the news. So he's like, you guys know what I mean. Wink, wink. Um, but then, you know, then he like gives this whole analysis of the system of racist policing. And it's like, and therefore we need citizen review board. And it's like, that's both important and also feels like uh, such a tiny piece of it. Um, so like, how do you think about sort of the, like, how do you approach that strategically? Like I've been an organizer and I'm used to like, you come up with a demand and you make a target and then you map, you know, then you, figure out how to pursue your demand um but it seems like if we if we try to take it piece by piece it'll last another billion years before we make any progress yeah that's a great question i would say two things i think so you know with organizing right you make these very very sort of incremental uh improvements and reforms that are kind of like drips and drips and drips and then there's these moments that open up that allow us to shift dramatically right And I think we're in a moment like that when it comes to policing, when it comes to the criminal just the criminal legal system, we have an opportunity to dramatically shift. So, for example, um, thousands of people in jail and prison have been released because of Mm COVID-19. Right. So that's happening. Right. That's one thing that's happening. Number two, due to COVID-19, state and local uh, governments are cash strapped. That's that's the second thing that's happening. And the third thing that's happening is a complete shift in people's consciousness around the utility of the police. And you're getting a groundswell of people calling for the defunding of the police or a freeze to police budgets. Those three things are happening in parallel. So it's creating an opportunity for a significant shift where people on the ground in in states and in localities are going in desperately need services and are going to have some questions about police. Some police budgets are 70 60, 50% of the municipal municipal budget. So people are gonna have some serious questions and are going to be scrutinizing the police budget like never before at a time when it's apparent that um, that the police and uh, their function and the, the service that they're rendering, the community is really questionable, right? So we, I think that this is one of those moments where we could actually make a, a, a jump. And we're seeing, we're seeing elected officials and one of the things the WFP is going to do is support any local elected official that is willing to run on defunding the police, essentially run on a uh, as on an abolitionist uh, sort of platform. Because what we know is that both Republicans and Democrats have not ever bucked the police because of the basically the vice grip that police unions have had on local elected officials. They're powerful, and they also stand to be some of the most blatantly racist um, institutions in our country. Some of the stuff that they say is so wild, mm-hmm. uh, and but they have the credibility of the police behind them. 
And that gives them the, the ability to almost be untouchable in our society. And it's, we're in this moment where we have, have, have an opportunity to challenge sort of the, the uncompromised legitimacy of police, of police unions, which are essentially white supremacist institutions. Yes, I, I was just going to say that. Um, uh, I'll share. I, I, have, to, I have to add a disclaimer on behalf of the American labor movement. We don't fuck with police unions. We don't think of police unions as real unions. Fuck them. Yeah, they they have something, and I didn't know this. They have something called a bill of rights that police officers have a bill of rights that basically insulates them and protects them from any kind of accountability when they uh, are violent and break the law themselves. Um, and there are things like you don't have to be deposed. You get a cooling off period for like 30 days before you are deposed or have to talk about the incident. Like what civilian would ever get that kind of leeway? Um, to everything to not, you know, uh, uh, refusing mental health exams. That's another one that every, you know, uh, no, 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 we don't need a mental health exam. Well, wouldn't you think that a, a police officer, someone who's arbitrating the law day in and day out should have, who's armed, who's armed, should have a mental health exam. But of course, you know, we don't have mental health exams universally uh, when you want to buy a gun. So, um, of course, that only applies more egregiously to the police department. Um, I let's see where where there's so much I want to say, but I do want to just talk about stepping back and looking at the actions of some of the protesters. Right. And the looting and the discussions around looting. And I, I personally am very annoyed. Like there's something fascinating to watch people like try to break into a Gucci because that's awesome. But also local media and all national media are doing nothing but running like, you know, just footage of people looting when, again, the majority, we're talking days of peaceful protests, days and days of peaceful protesting. Um, and we're coming off the back of like nonstop election coverage and COVID-19 coverage and nothing else. We'll talk about COVID, but we'll not talk about healthcare. We'll talk about the election. We won't actually talk about real issues. We won't talk about police until people start to loot. We won't talk about police violence unless the protests get get um, violent themselves or the cops essentially, you know, anyway. So th all that compounded with, I think what you were saying, Maurice, about like, I've just been like, yo, can I get a tank to spray down my neighborhood, like just sanitize it because I so I can like feel comfortable going outside or just like spread on a parking lot so like we can lessen the, you know, chances of contracting a uh, killer virus? No. But you can get a tank if you're trying to police protesters or the black community. Hey, you get tanks. Ferguson had tanks. And it's just like that. You're absolutely right. We're seeing our tax dollars rolling down our streets. And I think there's something super galvanizing. I think for anyone who's protested, and I'm sure you had that moment. I know you were active before Ferguson, but I'm sure in Ferguson you saw so many people who the initial outrage is what happened to Mike Brown, right? The initial outrage is this police violence, this senseless murder. But then when you see that you're just taking the streets with a sign and uh, an entire state machinery is rolling out to prevent you from speaking your piece, from just walking, marching a little bit, there's something that clicks. It is a very politicizing moment to see, oh, this country doesn't believe in the freedom of speech. The state is not on my side. And it also makes you think about all the protesters, and many people have pointed this out, and it's it bears repeating, who have 
defied stay-at-home orders spitting in the faces of police officers outside of Capitol buildings because they want to go outside and they want to go to the hair salon and whatever, whatever. And yet the state doesn't use the same machinery against them. And you wonder why you're like, mm, maybe they don't want to turn these people against this, like that state machinery. Cause if you do suddenly those majority white people have something in common with the majority of black and people of color protesters. Yeah, right on. I, I would say that um, the legitimacy of your protest has everything to do with who you are and what you're protesting protesting against, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, many of those. It's funny. A friend of mine called them the Flu Klux Klan. <laughs> I thought that was. <laughs> oh my god, that's but, great! Uh, wow. many, many of those folks would actually stand to benefit from so much of the policies and politics and movements that black folks have been advocating for. But they, they've been um, sort of indoctrinated by the siren song of white Christian identity. And I think this is to your point, the only way we're gonna get free by building a, a working class multiracial alignment of folks that include poor and working class white folks, poor and working class uh, black uh, native and Latina folks coming together and recognizing sort of our, our our common enemies and and sort of uh, the common program that would improve all of our lives. I think the it's so stark that so many white Americans identify with white billionaires versus their neighbors. Right. They have a different ethnic or racial background, right? Which brings me back to my first point: um, how effective the far right uses and weaponizes race and white supremacy in order to advance their agenda. You know the the corporate agenda doesn't actually care about working class and poor white folks, but they are the electoral majority that they need in order to advance, you know, um, giving their, their tax cuts or uh, loosening the regulatory regime or whatever interest that they might be paying for that the Republican Party is an instrument for. Now, mm -hmm. our challenge, and this is one of the reasons why we built the Working Families Party, we don't have our own instrument because the Democratic Party includes people who are identified as democratic socialists and organized capital. <laughs> it's kind of like a schizophrenic party uh, coalition. Mm -hmm. And what it, what it does is it offers- Maurice, that's not fair to schizophrenic people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. My, my apologies. Um, but uh, it offers social rights, but very, very rarely, if ever, offers true economic rights with social rights. So it provides social rights concessions and it maintains a line around economic rights and sort of supports the traditional neoliberal consensus. And until we create a working class, truly working class grassroots coalition of people um, that, that takes the politics of, of working people seriously, we're gonna always be in this challenge, which means we have to focus on and challenge directly white supremacy. Yeah, I, can, I, can I play a clip? NATO, say something quick. Oh, I, well, I was about to say something that, or I was about to ask a question that may not be quick. So I'll shut up. Okay. So I just, I have a, I have it was two very clips. deep though. It was incredibly profound. I'm sure it was fine. very, I'm sure it was very smart. Maurice is going to be sorry. He missed my fucking dope ass question, but Write go ahead it with down. Um, yeah. I mean, speaking to that sort of political will, I found this, I'm, I just want to play a clip of uh, this is Van Jones reacting to what was going on immediately. And there's a moment of introspection in there. And there's a moment that is tied to, I think, 
um, something that happened early this week that we didn't talk about, which was that video of Amy Cooper in Central Park, right? Yeah. And which was arguably, I think, for the majority of Americans, a more nuanced and like not nuanced, but a, almost a more relatable scene and a more like recognizable racism. Um, and yet what she did with it by calling, this is the woman who called the police on uh, a black man who was bird watching, uh, whose name was also Cooper. And who said like, I'm going to tell the police this is, you know, that there's an African-American man threatening me. African-American, by the way, I can't even say that anymore with sounding race. I feel like I'm racist when I say that. I just, yeah, I mean, after yeah. that video, I'm like, I'm never saying African-American again. That's done. <laughs> So anyway, but he's sort of connecting that and talking about the political will and sort of calling himself out. I'm just going to I'm going to play this real quick. The people are telling me they're tired of hashtags. They're tired of Van Jones saying we can have a bipartisan solution. They're tired of people like me. They're tired of people saying over and over again that, uh, uh, you know, we're just basically one bill away or one election away from some progress. It's not the racist white person who's in the Ku Klux Klan that we have to worry about. It's the white liberal Hillary Clinton supporter walking her dog in Central Park who would tell you right now, she, you know, she, people like that, oh, I don't see race, race is no deal to me, I see us all as the same, I give to charities. But the minute she sees a black man who she does not uh, uh, respect or who she has a slight thought against, she weaponized race like she had been trained by the Aryan nation. A Klan's member could not have been better trained to pick up the police and pick up the, her phone and tell the police it's a black man, African-American man, come get him. So even the most liberal, well-intentioned white person has a, 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 a virus uh, in his or her brain that can be activated at an instant. I thought that was... Uh... Pretty, pretty profound. Uh, Maurice, what are your Because you're on? also tired of Van Jones? Is that what you're saying, Francesca? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. no. Um, he's, he's a friend. I respect him. That, so that's a, a rare moment of just like clarity and introspection on, um, on cable news. There's one thing. There's, I would say it's both and. So we need, mm. to, we need to both be concerned about the very committed doctrinaire ideological white supremacist, as well as the way white supremacy um, impacts our, our, our culture. And so I think, yes, absolutely, the, the liberal on the Upper West Side and, and um, the more concerning hood-wearing people or the Proud Boys or whoever else, like both. And, and the thing I would say about the, you know, one example that I, I use to drive home that point is that you know, most most um, you know white liberals um, on the Upper West Side, for example. Um, I mean, yeah, they would swear up and down that you know they're against racism, and you know if you ask them, a hundred percent of them would claim that they marched with Dr. King, even though that's numerically impossible. <laughs> right? right? It's like that's numerically impossible. I was there with Biden. <laughs> like, I marched with Dr. King in the eighties. What you talking about? <laughs> you were a zygote, right? So, um, but you know, then um, see what happens when you advocate to uh, to um, uh, desegregate their public school. See what happens then. You know, mm. 
if they're sending their child to a public school, it's probably almost completely white with like five black kids. And we've seen those those battles happen. And they they dramatically shift from the most liberal person in the world into Bull Connor when you're talking about at going from eight black kids to plus eight black kids in their child's high school, right? And so um, when the rubber hits the road, when white people are called to either share power or give up power, or even be marginally uncomfortable um, in order to advance racial justice, we often see the true face of and character of where they, their racial justice stance is. And, you know, I think we need to do a lot more political education. I think, NATO, you'll appreciate this. This is one of the reasons why unions were so important. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jews. <laughs> Send out the Jews. <laughs> to infiltrate the whites. <laughs> uh, but unions, unions played a... a a central role in organizing people across race where white people, white workers and workers of color would see themselves as union brothers and sisters and their class identity, the, the, the relevance and, and prevalence of their class identity, they reasoned their class identity uh, superseded their ethnic or racial identity when they voted, um, when they were in struggles together. And there's a reason why over 40, more than 40 years, Unions have been attacked like a laser by the far right and their mm. corporate backers. And uh, so, you know, absolutely. Um, I think we've commodified racial justice. It's a hashtag. It's a tweet. It's a, a T-shirt you could wear. But the actual fight in order to challenge white supremacy means you have to have skin in the game. Um, and um, we're, we're going to have to ask a lot more from, from non-Black people and from white people to demonstrate their commitment to being anti-racist. One of those things for me, and especially with Amy Cooper's video, is, is not calling the police, right? We talked about budgets. Um, we've talked about education. But not calling the cops is something that I think for a lot of white people is outside of their purview. They're like, what do you mean? You, I shouldn't call my own personal A-team, like my, the force of good, but there's a loud racket over here. And like, we all have that like little snitch inside of us. I'm sorry. Just, just, you know, feed it some other way. I don't know. Watch more Downton Abbey. Uh, but, but like, don't call the police. You could maybe handle it. Talk to your neighbors, get to know people. Um, get to know the institutions in your neighbors, uh, in your neighborhood. And I think we've seen, I mean, the reason that I think there was so much outrage over the Amy Cooper video is that we've seen, I know NATO and I, uh, we used to live in the same neighborhood in San Francisco and we saw the way that uh, a man calling the cops on someone who he thought had a gun resulted in that man's death, right? Yeah. So we've, and we've all seen that. Um, 200 yards from my house. That's right, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's something about the black experience that, it's hard to articulate, but um, I often say, I often, I marvel at our restraint and the way, the fact that we are able to maintain sanity knowing that any white individual, any white individual in America has the power with their phone to, to put out a state sanctioned hit on any black person at mm -hmm. any point, for any reason, for any context. Yeah, and, I've, 
I've yeah. said it before. I'm not. To me, it's not surprising that people riot. It's given what America has done to black people, it's surprising that black people ever stop rioting. Because yeah. uh, it, it like, it, once you know any amount of that history, you're like, oh, the, like if that happened to me, I would never stop screaming. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's how I'm. You know, I'm Chinese and white, and uh, I feel like you're you're whenever you're confronted with the cops, you know exactly like what race you are. And for me, I get hella white. I just get like, how dare you? you know, I get very like, you know, like, but I am a woman, you know, <laughs> like that's how you know your privilege. Um, uh, there's, you know, I think his name is Oscar Jimenez, the CNN reporter who was arrested on camera. And I'm listening. I'm like, where's his heart? Like, where's his heavy breathing as he's being arrested? He's just like, sir, why are you arresting me? Oh my God, me as a journalist on camera, I would fucking, I would flip out. I'd flip out. But again, that's my privilege of being like, okay, I know I probably won't get shot. Um, I want to, there's a funny clip I want to share with you guys because yes, there has been some violence. There's been looting. Um, there have been, and it's kind of this open door for either police infiltrators, white supremacist infiltrators, or just like manarchists, you know? And this this video came out of Minneapolis, and I just love it. It is from a guy who, uh, hang on, I got his name. His name is Noah Saba. He's a young black protester. He was around Minneapolis, and he saw some dudes breaking into um, just a storefront window, and he confronted them and got them to do something amazing. There were six other white dudes. They're trying to break down this building. They're setting these fires. This is them. Nah, nah, come on, bro. You better stop real quick. Pull your mask down. Pull it down. All the way. Or I'll pull it down for you. Say you did it. Say it. Don't try to look cool. I didn't do nothing. Look at me and tell me you're not trying to look cool. Okay, apologize. Apologize for making black people look bad. Say it or I'll make you say it. I'm not trying to make black people look bad. Say I'm sorry for making black people look bad. You better say it. I swear to God, Lord have mercy on my soul. Say it. Say you're sorry for making black people look bad. Say it. I'm sorry for making black people look bad. Okay, cool. Cool. Now get the step in. Bye. Go. Bye. Go. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that guy, that was just so brilliant. Little thing. I'm sorry for making black people look bad. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's got to be a ringtone at this point. Yeah, uh, that's going to be a meme for a long time. Yes. <laughs> but it's so clear. And then once again, like, if you're white, you want to get your rocks off, please don't. Because you you will. And you are endangering people who are more vulnerable than you are. Um, go protest. Be in solidarity. But, yeah, don't do stupid shit. Because we don't need that. Um, at the same time, I'm just going to say for the people, like, again, people making such a big deal about the looting, I'm like... If there's a moment to be nihilistic about the world we're living in and the powers of be and how much control they don't have over this situation and how much they will oppress you over like feeding you, it is right now. So like, honestly, I would expect nothing less from this moment. It's a very nihilistic moment. Yeah. So, uh, can I ask a question? So uh, Jay on Facebook uh, would like to hear more about about defunding the cops. Sure. And so Maurice, I, I think like a lot of people um, sort of when they think about police, thanks to our popular culture, think that it's all like 
that that we that our society is like head to toe with serial killers okay. and that what the police department does is like full time just looking for serial killers that's all they do is look for serial killers and drug dealers and i don't think people realize like that that's actually a tiny percentage of policing and that most policing is fucking with poor people yeah. um and black people and uh and so could you sort of talk about like what like defunding the police looks like and sort of what the sort of what replaces them what, and what, what like what real community security looks like sure i mean it's happening it's currently happening right so you know there's neighborhoods uh in in new york city that effectively you know went from being you know some of the most violent neighborhoods to effectively having a, a zero murder rate right and it wasn't because of policing was because people in the community uh, developed a system of interrupting harm and interrupting violence and being able to, to talk with folks through their community times, uh, ties when crises happened or when conflict happened in order to de-escalate that conflict in a way that didn't lead to bloodshed, right? And we should fund those programs everywhere. Mm. You know, we should fund those programs everywhere because we know they work, they keep people safe, they keep people out of the criminal legal system, they build community bonds, right? Number one. Number two, police officers are often um, called to deal with um, people with mental health crises that are in distress. So my question is, why would you prefer to have somebody with no mental health uh, background but a gun? <laughs> to intervene when somebody is in distress like that? Would you prefer to have somebody who is trained to support someone in a mental health crisis? You know, police officers are often, you know, um, dealing with homeless folks. And, and would you prefer to have a, a, a uh, somebody trained to provide resources to homeless people whose only crime is that they're poor or someone with a gun who might, somehow escalate the crisis and use their gun, right? So there's so many things that police are called for in our society that if, if any rational person thought about it, they might, they might come to the conclusion that it makes no sense. But as police budgets grow and police are on the streets and their numbers increase, they're put to work doing all types of things that we as a society often are unaware of. So when we reduce police budgets, and we reduce uh, the police footprint, we replace those, uh, those, those services that they're providing, right? With services that actually work, reduce harm, build community ties, and provide desperate, desperate needs to people. If it's mental health needs, if it's um, a whole range of services that people, uh, homeless people might need. And so what we're calling for, you know, one of the things that I think police do is they invisibilize um, all, you know, and this is something that Angela Davis has said, like the, the criminal legal system invisibilizes, um, you know, our society's um, worst contradictions and problems by putting them behind bars. But they, it doesn't at all solve for them. And so if we want to actually solve our deep rooted issues around income inequality and poverty and racism, then we should focus on those things and not expect um, a 20-something-year-old white kid from the suburbs patrolling um, urban communities with firearms to solve those crises. Yeah. I wanted to read uh, some quotes, uh, or some quotes, some, some comments, you know, some classic quotes from the comments section. 
things like shut up commie um i'm just kidding there's no one who says that but i wouldn't be mad at you um Joseph McHugh says the police need more training on non-lethal um, and shoot to wound tactic instead of unloading their entire clip into a suspect. I would agree with that. Although of course I do not agree with the amount of non-lethal things that they are down, you know, deploying mm -hmm. on demonstrators. Um, there are, let's see. Da -da 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 -da. Someone says, I have zero faith in my community or the police. That is Jesse Espino, who I do acknowledge. I see you. Um, so Preet, Preet asked about in. specific examples. Uh, yeah. Preet on YouTube asked about specific examples. Maurice, what you're talking about in terms of shifting resources from policing into community services, I, I've read about this. There are, there are places in the country that have tried pilot programs of like sending social workers as first responders to, to mental health crisis instead of... Yeah. instead of cops, right? Alice is a, is a perfect example. And there's a New York Times op-ed written by uh, two very, very close friends and comrades, Tenjue McHarris and Philip McHarris, that um, I think uh, was um, published yesterday. That, uh, and the title is Defund the Police. And it goes into detail uh, mm -hmm. about what we're actually talking about. Because I think when people hear it, they're like, oh, that sounds crazy. But when you actually like break it down, it's the most sensible thing you could imagine. And in fact, there's, there's police officers who would tell you that the, a lot of the things that they do, that they're called to do, make no sense, right? And so the rank and some of, some of the rank and file police officers, when they're being honest, will share the fact that they, from their on the ground rank and file position, understand how bankrupt the whole system is and how their jobs don't don't make very much sense. And look, if all the police did was like focus on cold cases, I don't think people would have a problem. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, if they, if they only did what we think they do, like after 1 a.m. on MSNBC, <laughs> I think most people would be like, great. <laughs> Instead of giving me a show, <laughs> God damn it, I could be on at one o'clock. <laughs> um, Is there a change.org petition we could? So, you know, but I think it's all the other stuff that people don't realize police are doing um, that that really make no sense and don't make us safer. Well, and they make sense if you're talking about criminalizing poverty and criminalizing blackness. Um, and I just want to once again, I think the most heartbreaking thing to me about what happened to George Floyd um, and Eric Gardner is that they were doing something that only someone in a very, you know, only someone who's poor, only someone who's poor has to sell Lucy's to make a mm. little extra money. Only someone who's poor in a time of COVID maybe lost their job. I understand that George Floyd actually worked in either a restaurant or a nightclub would be trying to pass a $20 counterfeit bill at a grocery store. Like, come on. This is, I mean, and, and that's the shit that like, when you hold that up against the fact that in the stimulus bill, millionaires got average per millionaire, $1.7 million of a tax write-off. I mean, burn it down, you know, <laughs> like, like, come on. Like it's, it's, so hard. it's, it's hard to, re it's hard to remember that. Yeah. I mean, this is another thing that is just, it's mind numbing. The actual looting, the actual crime is at a scale unimaginable. Yes. Like the amount of, of theft that's taking place every day, the corporate theft, right? 
I mean, corporations that lead to, to countless deaths. And we focus on some of the most petty, um, quote unquote, crimes you could imagine. And, you know, both, both, and the other thing is like the, the Lucy story and the counterfeit 20 story. We don't even know those things are true. Actually. Right, exactly. They're still alleged. But however, what's so telling is all it takes. And one of the reasons why I loved the, the recent story about um, the white woman in, um, in Central Park, um, Mr. Cooper, they both, their last names are both Cooper. Yeah. He is comically urbane. He's on the board of the Audubon Society, right? And so like, there's no, there's no way to be black and to somehow not be, um, not be caught up in the, the, violent, the violence that is white supremacy. You could be a black Harvard educated Audubon Society, not member, board member, right? And still face the potential arrest, abuse, and death by white lady, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and you know, on the other side, um, you know, in, in Minneapolis here, you have a, a working class black person who, who eventually faced death. The thing is our blackness um, creates conditions that are just, um, that puts us all at risk. And it's also a point of unity um, for us. And uh, that gives me hope. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap this amazing conversation up. Maurice, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back. Absolutely. Um, Whenever you call, I'll, I'll be there. Thank you. Uh, call Maurice instead of calling the cops. No, don't call Maurice. Follow Look him. at that cute kid. Oh, my gosh. Hello. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, uh, um, I think it, Maurice, is that your kid? Yes, that's that's is it bedtime? <laughs> Maurice is adorable kid just walked into frame for those. It, of you it, is, bedtime. it is bedtime, it's light outside, so I get the tantrum too. Yeah, <laughs> um, follow Maurice and his work and the work of Working Families Party at Maurice WFP. Hope that's okay. I put that up there. Yep, um, yep. Let's keep on, keep continuing with this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for well, my black boy joy there. Um, a little nice. So conversation. <laughs> All right. Take care. Oh, and thank you all. I saw your comments. I just couldn't read them because they weren't good enough when I was looking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding, but you know, um, uh, thank you for being here and thank you for um, also donating again to at TBR-Live on Venmo because we are donating a portion of that to Reclaim the Block, which is helping do what we talked about, redirecting city budgets into communities and away from police departments. Maurice is absolutely right. Look at your city budget. Look at how bloated the police department is in comparison with everything else. Um, we have one final segment. And we'll get to it real, real quick um, because this conversation has gone long. Let's do it. This segment is called, do we have a banner for this? Yeah. This segment is called in my reeducation camp, dot, dot, dot. Now, obviously no one is advocating violence. This is all voluntary, but it's a free education, reeducation camp. Um, but after the rev, there will be some sort of reeducation camp. It might be college, it might be free college, but the courses will be expanded. 
And so I want to know, Nato, what would be a feature in your re-education camp? Uh, so like if people if went to a re-education camp uh, that I was running? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the thing, the main thing that people would have to learn is, um, listening, just listening to other people. Oh yeah. Just listening. <laughs> yeah. Being like, Oh, how, what was this like for you? What's <laughs> your just, experience? Repeat it back. Yeah. But how did that feel? Don't you feel like people are, are so condescending when they're like, have you ever gone to a therapist who's like, you're just like, oh my god, I don't know. I think I'm gonna die alone, and just everything's terrible. And your therapist's like, mm, I hear that you're concerned, and you're like, God damn it, how much is this <laughs> session again? <laughs> but they're uh, you're supposed to reflect back to people, right? Well, and and also, I mean, it's like with well, with therapy, there's a certain amount of like, you know, uh, like, have you read the fucking news? The anxiety's not in my mind, like it's objectively correct to be <laughs> in like, like a survival like fight or flight is a rational response to the external stimuli right now yes but nato what about the racist police system that's in your mind right it's what is the racist police right how does how do the racist police remind me of my mom <laughs> <laughs> um joseph McHugh says mandatory travel outside the u.s that will be in his re-education camp totally agree one-way ticket right now honestly that's what i've been saying about these you know reopen america protesters look tickets airline tickets are insanely cheap right now go go visit hopefully like a socialist country that you think works terribly and come back tell me tell me how, how it was chances are you probably won't come back uh i uh i'm miss i miss cuba I, I can tell you that. I mean, it's 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 life is hard there, but uh, people are incredible. It changed my brain. Yeah, word. Uh, um, uh, what's I, in your reeducation camp? Okay, my reeducation camp is um, housework boot camp for cis men. All right. Now, NATO. I know you love to brag about how you make a shopping list and you make crepes and like tapas for your family, whatever. But this is very specific to men who are not good at housework. There've been a few in my life. Oh, bro. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a good cook, but like every, literally every day, I think that I made, made the bed and apparently I made it wrong. I <laughs> like, I don't understand how to make the bed. <laughs> you look, I think it's fine to make it wrong. But at least attempt to make it. Don't just like throw over the sheet. It's not just putting the covers back. Like attempt, make a simple attempt. So a few um, feel exercises, um, learn the basics. When a container is empty, man, don't put it back in the fridge. What is this weird thing where you have where you're like, you're going to leave one olive or like juice and put it back in as if like you're afraid to be the last one to finish it, but there is nothing there anyway? Fuck. Um, uh, so is this, a, this, is a, this, this is about ring, your boyfriend, isn't it? Ring, it's, it may or may not be about my lovely boyfriend, Matt Lieb. Uh, follow him at Matt Lieb Jokes. <laughs> ring out a sponge. That's going to be part of it. In my re-education camp, we all learn how to ring out the sponge. You ring it fully out. You don't leave it with water because why? Gets all mildewy and disgusting. Um, 
Toilet paper rolls, put them on the right way. The flappy flap is on the outside. It's not controversial. It's not, there is no controversy. It is universally accepted. Once we're in my dictatorship, the flap goes on the outside. All um, right. Countertops, countertops. Unless after the revolution, there will be no countertops. I would like all men to notice countertops are fucking dirty. Wipe the countertops, all right? Just because it's water and it won't stain doesn't mean <laughs> my boyfriend's right in the uh, he's within eyeshot, so I should probably just direct this to him. Yep. But people might be listening on the podcast. Um, that we're gonna have like little exercises instead of running tires. They'll be like compost, recycling, trash, compost, recycling, trash, compost, recycling, trash. Go, go, go. All right. What is this? empty yogurt container? Where's it go? Where's it go? Where's it go? That's in my re-education camp. And then finally, um, the the phrase do we have any more blank uh will be known as a slur after the revolution and you won't be able to say it because you have to look with your god-given eyes in the goddamn fridge <laughs> at matt lieb jokes <laughs> oh see it's interesting because i have the, i do the opposite side of that which is that like like i will not look and then go buy a new one of whatever the thing is so I'm constantly being like, hey, I got more cilantro. And then my uh, wife was like, why didn't you use up the cilantro that we still have from last week? Oh, that's also annoying. Yes. But at least you know what's in the fridge. You need to know generally the layout of the fridge. Like in, you know, in the camp, like right now, if you're a dude, close your eyes. Imagine your fridge. All right. Where is the yogurt? If you don't know, that's a problem. Uh. It seems like a show, Francesco. Look, it's a quibby pitch, at the least. Um, Nato, thank you so much for being here. Thank you once again, uh, giving giving me reason to live. You know, mostly you, only you. And Maurice was very good, though. Maurice was great. Um, so uh, follow me at Nato Green on Twitter, Mister Nato Green on Instagram. I have two albums out. Uh, two comedy albums. The Whiteness album is the most recent one. Uh, the track How White Are Jews is directly relevant to the conversation we had tonight. Yeah, a lot of Jews. Uh, and uh, my first album, The NATO Green Party, has a bunch of stuff about protesting and fighting police that may be enjoyable. Thank you so much, NATO. I'm trying to get my cat to come up and come into frame. She might not do it, but thank I, you all I, I guarantee I'm already less interested in your cat than into like adorable black children. Yep. Okay. We don't have to, you didn't have to compare them, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, my cat is very cute. Uh, thank you guys once again for your tips and your donations. Um, I'm Francesca Fiorentini. Thanks to our producer, Becca Roofer. She is uh, wonderful and we love her. We love her so much. Next week, we're going to be back six o'clock, nine o'clock Eastern. We're talking about tenants' rights, housing rights, organizing in the times of the Rona. Uh, love y'all. Stay safe. And remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye-bye.